Oh, you're you're coming out of the gate just way too strong, Matt. Just oh, way on. too strong. I mean, we're not going to cut this, but I'm just I'm just you're, joshing you're, with you're, you. You're like, oh, come this like this guy. He's gonna make you have to edit this even more. Right? Like my life is already hard enough. Um, hi, welcome to season five of Are Your Parents Proud of You? We're that's, back, baby. That's Matt Schufrider, the overly enthusiastic one. That's Jenna McCorgle, the semi happy to be here one. The semi happy to be here? I can't tell. Listen, you know this. Uh, I'm I'm just your your resident uh, chaotic trans lesbian editor, just just on just a, a a menace at large to everyone on the internet. You put that on your business card, uh, a menace at large. No, but because uh, I don't have a business card, but if I do have a business card, I will put that on it. All right, you hear that, folks? If you like to donate to our Patreon page. You get Jenna's. Wait, birthday. we have a Patreon page. No, of course we don't. I was gonna say we haven't had guest? That, We haven't had that meeting yet. Uh, anyway, welcome back, everyone. It's been a long summer. Jenna, really quick, what'd you do during your summer? I don't ask me that. I don't remember. Okay, well, I. Tried. <laughs> I'm. I'm sorry. I know you're trying to to do you know fun banter, but I'm. I I got nothing, man. It's all about the witty banter here at Are Your Parents Proud? I'm just I'm just the editor. I'm not the host of this show. It's not my job to have, you know, energy. Fair. All right, here we go. Our first guest of the new season is Annabelle Lee Revac, composer, lyricist, playwright, all-around artist in general. Uh, Annabelle and I talked back in late May. Uh, during the run, or about close to the run of their show, Notes and Letters being produced uh, with Underscore Theater. And at the time, Annabelle wasn't even in here. She was in Europe. So why? Find out during an interview. All right, Jenna, you ready to get this uh, season rolling? Uh, what? Here we go! Well, hello, Annabelle. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. So uh, when I found out that uh, you're in London, uh, first of all, what and why? And I'm jealous. So first of all, what are you doing uh, over there right now? Uh, well, I moved over here to do my master's in performing arts research, um, which was sort of a pandemic impulse that ended up working out really great. You know, I was stuck at home living with my mom after everything in the theater sort of crashed and burned. And I was like, okay, what do I do now? And I was like, well, a master's would be fun. I've always right. kind of wanted to do one. And I was like, well, why don't I just, after being stuck in one place for a very long time, I was like, how far can I get was basically the thing. No <laughs> offense to so mom, but like, I want to be as far away from here as possible. Uh, we joked, we were like, okay, we survived that like pretty well for an adult woman living with her mother for nine months I think we lived together and while we did all right we were like we will never do that again <laughs> we did it once we don't need to do it again yeah that's great how's it been thus far um juggling it all during all of this craziness we live in uh it's been great like I love my master's program I love 
London and seeing all of the theater here and just like the vibe of this theater scene is really cool. And there's lots of new musical stuff happening, which is really exciting for me because um, that's what I do. Right. And so it's been really cool to get to know like another theater community. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Favorite experience thus far in the London theater scene? Ooh, I got to see Amelie on the West End before it closed and they do like the actor musician version. Yeah. Like everybody is playing something or multiple things at some point in the show. And that was incredible. It was so good. Oh, that's awesome. And what's crazy, I don't know if you remember, um, we briefly talked at a seminar a couple years back to talk about like theater in Chicago. Yes. Uh, and I, one of the things I remember, and you can tell me if I was wrong, am I wrong or not, but you came up with your own major, like you helped started your own major, something like that. And I believe what was it, like music conversation, that was your major? Yeah, I did. I basically did two majors at Columbia. So I did um, musical theater performance and music composition. And because you can't do both of those in four years and do all of the requirements, I was like sort of shopping in things as we went. So I was like, well, I'm doing theory four over here in composition. So do I have to do music theory for musical theater where we're analyzing West Side Story when I've been doing all of this over here? So I got to sort of like move things around um, and yeah, sort of create my own double major slash major. And did you know, did you know that's what you wanted to do when you came in or? Yeah. Okay. I knew, I didn't know I was going to do it by a uh, double majoring. I just knew that I wanted to learn about both of these things. Um, and I was originally like just going to minor in music composition, I think was my plan. But yeah. I sort of realized that I wanted more of that as well. So yeah. How long, how far in advance, not even far in advance, like how long into your first year you're like, no, no, this, this needs to come, this needs to happen. Uh, probably after first semester, I think I probably did my like freshman check-in with my advisor and I was like, I want to do more of this stuff. How do I do more of this stuff? <laughs> wow. That was like the nicest meeting that you have with them. Most of the time mine were like, oh, good luck. Good luck, kid. <laughs> Well, the thing is, in the music department, we had a really great um, advisor and like person who was there to help us schedule. Becky was the best. And we always went to her, like any double majors who were in music and something else, we were always like, we'll go, we'll go to Becky and she'll give us the answers rather than go to our other major for the answers because yeah. I didn't get much help. In the we, won't say, we won't say the names here. No, no. No. Say, say, we'll say next name, but she was great. Right. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. But before even pre-Columbia, Annabelle, so you're from, you call it nowhere, Wisconsin. Um, what were you like as a child? Was uh, I read that, you know, you were, had this wild imagination, you're into this fantasy life, kind of stuff like that. Um, I mean, I was like a nerdy little kid growing up and just in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that's what I always say, the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. Um, it's beautiful and it was a wonderful place to grow up not a lot of theater happening though right. so I was sort of uh I would like go to Minneapolis because that was like two hours from where I lived and I would like go there to do shows in high school eventually because I was just like so desperate for more of that um and yeah I think just the I think just like the nerdy part of my brain was like I need to do this all of the time because it's like 
what I really love to do. So I was just doing it in any capacity I could. Um, and yeah, so that ended up becoming all of this now, I guess. <laughs> so. And you called your, your, what? I was very committed to the bit. I was like, okay, if this is what we're doing, we're just going to do it from like 14. So. You're committed to the bit at that young of an age. That's wonderful. I think every professor would love that. Ah. <laughs> uh, one of the inspirations that you said was your mother. Um, what about her? And like, was she even involved in the arts for you? Well, my parents were both actually like quite musically not talented. Um, my mom, she she would agree with me. Like, this isn't an insult to her, but she's a little bit toned up. She's trying to figure it out. Um, but she's not had any training. Neither did my dad. Like, no music in my house but somehow I'm a composer and my brother is a Christian worship leader and so we both have ended up in very musical careers and lives somehow we just keep wondering we're like how did this happen we don't know but my mom um she was a huge inspiration to me in so many other ways um my mom is a business person she's like a sales consultant and so she is on the ball when it comes to networking and when it comes to all of like the business side of the theater industry. And so she helped me be really aware that right from the beginning, she's like, okay, if you want to do this, you're going to have to treat yourself like a business and you're going to have to figure out how that part of this works in order for it to work at all. And so she was a huge inspiration and in just like empowering me to do that and to commit to that and like network myself that way so she was a huge huge influence on everything I do and everything I still do I call her for advice once or twice a week for sure so. I get I get it's not even a shame but my I have a middle support and I have a sister and my mom biggest Gilmore Girls fans in the world and I I was my mom was driving my mom and I were hanging out once and we were driving and looked over her shoulder to see who she was texting as any child does with their parent and of course it's like it's with my sister of course it's all these little gifs and memes of the show and I'm like oh lord uh like I love it at all like uh, uh, but clearly there's a connection there that I don't understand uh somehow can't be a part of but um just thinking about that you know yeah we've had we've had people say that we're a little bit like that our relationship is sort of Gilmore Girls us but neither of us have ever watched the show so I don't it's know, fine I like it I've tried uh, it's just not for me you know yeah but then, okay. then again uh all they do is bicker everyone just bickers at everyone in very fast dialogue and they drink coffee so I'm like this show has to be for me for somehow some reason and I guess like the main guy's this grumpy old man with a backwards hat. I'm like, well, I can play grumpy old man, uh, 6 a.m. and all that, you know. So maybe, maybe I need to, we need to watch it again. But who knows? Yeah, I love it. So uh, tell me about the Carpet Ruiners, this nickname that you and your... Uh... <laughs> Where did you find that? <laughs> <laughs> Just the research. So uh, I, tell me more, because I know this was something between you and your cousins growing up. Uh, oh how did this gosh. start? Yeah, we were very imaginative children. Me and my two cousins, two cousins in particular, Anna and Emily. Um, uh, we got together quite often when we were little, and 
for like we were always very into like play pretend games we would all like be princesses or be adventurers or what what have you and for some reason that always involved like making a mess um i think one time the worst one i think was we had we were convinced somehow by something that if we took all of our like old crayons and we like made them into shavings they would turn into like fairy dust and then we would have magical powers and like <laughs> so we're sitting in my bedroom like breaking these crayons into fairy dust there's like crayon wax all over my carpet all over like all different colors and my mom and our aunt walks in and they're like what have you done they were so angry at us um so that's one particular one um there was like a melted Laffy Taffy incident with these same cousins where like the Laffy Taffy like melted off the desk like in the sun and it dripped onto the carpet again um there was one time where we burnt the carpet because we accidentally vacuumed a sock and that created so much heat that we like singed a little bit of the carpet like there's a lot there's a lot <laughs> But this is out of goodwill. You guys were just trying to. We're just trying to have a good time. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that's what anyone says, even up until now, when they're trying to do something that's completely stupid. We're just trying to have uh, a good time, you know. Yeah. Uh, when and that's why I asked, like, when you were imaginative child, um, was that were you when you were growing up? Did you want to be a performer, or did you want to just be somehow creative, creatively involved in something? It's, it's sort of funny. I was thinking about this the other day, and I think the very first thing I ever wanted to be was an author, um, because I loved reading when I was little, um, and I still do love reading, and I was like, that's something I want to do. I want to I write the stories. I want to be able to do that. Um, so I think that was the first thing I ever wanted to do, and then I sort of found music, and then I was like, oh, wait this is really cool too. This is a different version of storytelling. And now I feel like my life is just an amalgamation of those two different things of like the narrative storytelling and the musical storytelling. And I feel like I've accidentally married those two things. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. So then you go in high school and tell me more about you. It's more inspirations for you uh was mr thornley and mrs schultz uh how did they uh how did they inspire you and probably in, in that particular phase in your life in high school oh my gosh they were the best so mr thornley i'll start with him he was our drama teacher slash english teacher in high school so he taught um all of the he taught the upper level english course and then he also taught all of the drama so he was the person who like put on the musicals and that was the first experience I ever had like really doing a musical was in his class. Um, and it was like a class in our high school, which was really cool. Um, and so he sort of like, again, was that blending of like theater and storytelling in English for right. me. Um, and he was just, he was such a cool guy. I don't even know how to explain who Mr. Thornley is but he was just I always felt like he was like honorary uncle to all of us in the theater department like that was his vibe he was like the cool uncle vibe um and then Mrs. Schultz was my choir teacher and she was the first person who ever gave me like proper vocal training and all of this other thing I think I had her for like six years and then I also got to TA for her a little bit 
in like my last year of high school. And that was my first taste of like music directing, which is another thing that I do now. And so that was sort of my first peek at what that was. And she was also the first person I ever saw do like vocal direction or music direction. And so she was like a huge inspiration to me as well. That's awesome. And when you're leaving high school, you know, high school is such a weird time in everyone's lives where we're just trying to figure out and we're just trying to get to this the trying to keep our heads above water um you know you performer and creative this and then music directing at one point when you wanted to leave you knew did you have a certain idea of what you wanted to be or even how you're going to accomplish anything I mean I knew I wanted to do musical theater and I had this inkling that I wanted to write musical theater mm-hmm. um and I remember, I think it was my junior year of high school, I told my, I told Mrs. Schultz, my choir teacher, I was like, I think this is what I want to do all the time. And I just remember, I, I have never forgotten this, but she just looked at me and she said, okay, then don't teach. And I was like, what? Because everybody else in my life up to that point had told me, okay, great, go get a job as a music teacher and you can do this on the side. Right. Um, she she basically said to me, she was like, you'll get home from a day of teaching and trying to inspire other kids because that's your job. And then you won't have any inspiration left for yourself. And I was like, dumbfounded by this idea. Like it was completely different than what I'd heard before. And right. I thought about that a lot over that year. And I was like, okay. So then I had to like buck up the courage to tell my mother that I wanted to study musical theater. And that took a lot of convincing, but eventually she was like, okay, she is serious about this. Yeah, so. the, I was going to say, what were, like, what were the trepidations? Was, you know, when I told my parents I wanted to do acting, they were like, okay, but how does that work? How do you, how do you afford, keep up rent or, you know, how do you not, how do we prevent you from not sleeping in our basement? Yeah, that's always the fear, isn't it? Um, and then yeah. I did end up living in my mom's basement over COVID. So no, see, that's not your fault. <laughs> um, but how did that happen? I had a couple conversations with my mom about it. The first one, I was like, mom, I want to be an actor. And then I just waited. And she was like, that's very nice, honey. Just, okay, that's great. And then we just right. like moved on in the conversation. And I was too scared to bring it back up again. But then a while later, I was like, no, I really do want to do this. And she was like, mm, I don't know. Is there anything else that you want to do? Right. Um, and that was that conversation. And then the third time, these are all spaced out over a couple months, I think. I was like, no, mom, I really, really, really want to do it. Um, and at that point, I was working in Minneapolis as an actor. Um, and I had done, I'd like started getting paid for some of the work I was doing. So she could see that, you know, these people do, I wasn't getting paid much, but I was starting to get paid for all of this work. And she was like, okay, if you're doing it now and you get some real training in college, like maybe this, maybe this is a possible thing, but this is when she started talking to me about like the business side of things. And she's like, you're going to have to like learn about this and that and the other thing and taxes and all of this stuff. And so she, so that's when we started like, really talking about it and she was immediately like you are a business person now um and so yeah I think that's sort of how it how it happened and how I convinced her over a very long period of time so So, yeah like I had the entire senior year to try to convince my parents because when I first told them 
I didn't tell I want to be an actor. I wanted to do film studies. And they're like, what the hell is that? I'm like, oh, it's, it's journalism. You know, like when I went to Columbia, we had, I told them the four majors I wanted to look at. And so usually like a tour like that, that takes maybe about 30, 40 minutes. Well, my tour was so, it took about maybe two, two and a half hours because I told them like, this is, I have so many ideas. I'm going to try to convince you that I can do this. But the last one was acting. And so we spent the last, you know, 45 minutes probably in the theater department and me trying to tell them like, no, this is, this is good. This is what I want, you know, Um, probably, it probably wasn't even until April when they were like, oh, okay, this is good luck. (laughs) Oh my God. But, crazy, crazy, crazy. Right. And then what brought you to Chicago? I mean, obviously, the uh, long answer, the short answer is college, but what about it? What about this crazy school of Columbia that we went to? Uh, um, I knew I wanted to do, I knew I wanted to be in a big city. Um, right. I wanted to be where there was just lots of other theater happening besides just at the school. Um, and Chicago was obviously great for that. Um, and it was also close enough that I wouldn't be, you know, I had not lived outside of my hometown of two and a half thousand people, um, before I moved to Chicago. So this was sort of a safe distance where if I freaked out, I could get on a train home, you know, and it would be, it would be okay if I was like really freaking out. Luckily I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> just to assure the audience that I didn't have. But I came close that, but I went on the L instead. Oh, definitely came close. Definitely came close. Um, multiple times, I'm sure. Um, but then also, I so I did the unified nightmare, like the auditions for all of the different schools. And I went to Chicago to do those auditions. Um, and Columbia was the only school that I got accepted to, actually, out of the six or seven schools that I applied to. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. And so I was like, okay great Columbia it is they were also the first people to answer me so I was like okay this is exciting did you get the um, giant box saying you're in and all like the all the little stickers and notebooks that you got yeah, I got an I still have that notebook somewhere I save all of my notebooks so I still have that one because it's full of like terrible lyrics now I'm sure if I look back at it but yeah that's cool uh and well, we can we can be honest that we can say Columbia had its flaws and still does. Uh, but you know, and even looking back on it, it's hard not to you know see the flaws there. But um, overall, you know, how was your time there? Um, overall, um, overall, I mean, I had a pretty good experience overall at Columbia. I sort of learned about some things that were happening afterwards that had I known about them during the time there, I would have been a bit more upset. But since I was blissfully unaware of most of of like what was going on at the time, uh, I had a good time. And I also, I think the thing for me was I got to work a lot outside of school. And so I was music directing and writing and working with different theater companies outside of school, which was hugely helpful. And they were fine with that. Yeah, like, and then, that was at least the one thing I appreciate about it. like they didn't care if you were doing stuff in or out the school as long as you're just working like that's all they really cared about. Yeah, and I think that was huge for me in my career was that I was able to start sort of like three years earlier than some college students get to because I worked sophomore year through the end and so 
that was really exciting, I think, to me. That's cool. And you know, you're workshopping musicals and that um, there. Um, was there a particular show that stood out during your time that you worked on? Show that I worked on? Um, I mean, I started working on Notes and Letters in my sophomore year of college. That was the first musical I started like properly working on. So right. I guess one. Um, and what's that? Like, and talk about that. Like, what is you know for people who don't know what that is? I know. I mean, I know this has been this project that's been going on for a couple of years now. Um, yeah. I hear nothing but great things about it, and I'm so looking forward to trying to see it. Uh, but for people who don't know much about it, what is it about, and how did you even come upon work the uh, working on it? Yeah. Um, so notes and letters is based on or inspired by a true story. Um, I was at my grandma's house one time over like Christmas break or something like that. And my grandma is one of those classic hoarder grandmas. Nice. Everything. We love you know, that. I mean, and so she had a box of old letters out one day for whatever reason, she was just like reading through all of these old letters. And so I said, Hey grandma, can I look at these? And she said, sure. Yeah, go ahead. And so I started opening them up and there were all of these letters to and from this guy called Joe. And I was like, who's that? And it was like great, great grandfather. And so I was, looking through and sort of just reading his story because he moved to Chicago in 1917. And at the time I was reading these letters, it was 2017. Um, so we're exactly a century on and I was going through some very like similar things of like moving to a new place and that place being the same place that he moved to. Um, and I, I just remember being like, this is musical. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I just I have this thing I'm like that's a musical and I started writing it and so the show is based on his so he moved from around Prague to Chicago in 1917 um sort of escaping some Eastern European World War One tension and stuff that was going on there and he worked in this piano shop called Williams Piano and Organ Company which was on Washington Street and at the time I lived on Washington Street I lived like three blocks away from where he like originally worked when he moved to Chicago which I found incredibly fascinating um the shop yeah. obviously doesn't exist anymore there's like a skyscraper there now um because that's like the street that's like the street off the bean right uh, <laughs> no, I, I like that. Well, it got replaced by a giant skyscraper. You know, that of course, of course it did. Yeah, of yeah. course it did. Yeah. Um, but I sort of I started there. I started with that part of the story, and then everything else around it is made up. So the other characters are made up. Um, there are there are letters to and from a woman called Margie, and those are real. Those are real letters. Um, but all the other characters in the show are made up, and so. Mm. so let it run from that point on right has your grandma seen the show uh no she actually died a couple months before the first reading got to happen of it but a lot of my family have seen many different versions of it um yeah. and they're so cute because they're also not very like musically inclined um and so when they come they're just like blown away because like it's probably the first musical they've seen in a decade yeah. you know and so it's so cool to watch them all see it what do you think her reaction would have been to probably seeing it? Oh, I think she would have been, I think she would have been really bowled over that like our little family was on stage like this. Um, yeah. 
I think she would have been really surprised. I think she also would have been, like the rest of my family, very pleased that at one point Phillips, Wisconsin, which is where that side of the family all live and where Joe moved to after he lived in Chicago, um, that that got mentioned in the show. They were all just so excited. They're like, Phillips is in a musical. And so it was like the funniest thing to watch that. So I think that's probably how she would have reacted as well. That's great. And it seems it sounds like it's this little show that could, you know, starting in workshops and then what and is it was it still during your time in college that you reached out to underscore uh, underscore theater if they if you if they would be interested in producing it because weren't you even working with them during that time as well? Yeah, I actually started working with them before they picked up the show, um, and I I went and interviewed for an internship at the company for mm -hmm. their musical theater festival that they do yeah because you do new musicals I want to do new musicals do you have a spot for me here somewhere and they said yes oh my god we need help please come um, <laughs> <laughs> it was at that point they they had just expanded everything and it was such an exciting time to be part of their company but I remember during my interview um, for that internship, um, Laura Stratford, who was the AD at the time, she asked me, she's like, so you're a writer, what are you writing right now? And this is the, like the first time I had ever pitched notes and letters out loud to anyone. And I'm sure it was the most like, you know, you're supposed to pitch in 90 seconds, like you're on an elevator and the person's going to get you that they have the whole thing. You learn how to pitch your show. And I'm sure I didn't do any of it right when I pitched it to her. And but she sat through it and she was very kind and she said it was interesting. Um, and then eventually they were looking for in this festival that I was interning for. Um, so I got the job. Um, <laughs> they Quite were, a yeah. And then they were, um, they were looking for one more show for the reading series um, because they do like full scale productions in the festival. And then they do just like one night, one off readings. And they were looking for one more show. And I said, well, I have this thing and I was just sort of like very tentatively raised my hand in the emails and I was like here's the script if you want to look at it and they ended up being like yeah let's do it and it was I was so excited um and so we sort of went from there and we did that first reading and then the next year they decided to do workshop of the show which was like two weeks and like the best two weeks of my life that was so much fun I learned so much about the show and then the production in 2020 and then in 2022. Yes. So. <laughs> was it weird being in the rehearsal room? I, I, you know, I know how hard is it for playwrights? You, you hear stories of, you know, Sorkin rewriting all of his scripts during previews. I, I, you know, I work at the Goodman. I know Doug Wright, mm -hmm. who wrote the Goodnight Oscar. And he said, and, you know, you're, they only have eight previews before they actually open and during like each preview it's just tons and tons of new lines um because it's just so hard for the playwright to hear their own work um is that hard for you can you even is it hard for you to be in the rehearsal room and hear your words being spoken out loud or even sung out loud I mean um I don't think it's hard it's not hard unless it's wrong um you know and let's does it ever feel, but does it ever feel wrong at, at the moment Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. All the, I write terrible <laughs> things a lot. That's, that's why we did all of these workshops to make it better. Right. Um, I, for this, uh, for this 2022 production, 
I remember because I'd been doing all of the rehearsals and sort of seeing rehearsal videos, but hearing most everything secondhand from the director and our dramaturg. And I got there and I was, and I saw the dress rehearsal or the, the invited dress and we had locked the script on April 18th. It's now a month later. And yeah. I was like, can I please make two more changes? I was like, there's two things I really, really, really want to change and just fix. And they were like, no, absolutely not. The cast will murder you. And I was like, you're right. Because I did give them 30 pages. I gave them 30 pages of changes on the very last day before script lock. Oh my was, God. Yeah, it was all cut. So I wasn't making them learn anything new, but I cut so much right at the end up to the wire so. it seems like and you can tell me if this is too far um but writers composers lyricists playwrights whatever they never think their work is good even even before or after it's done and yet you know we have some of the greatest writers living or we're no longer with us but their work lives on forever it, you know coming from a and speaking from coming from someone who does write, do you think, and this is, I this is going to be a very blunt question and I apologize. Do you think you do good work? Do you write good stuff? I do. I do think I write good stuff, but I always think it could be better. Mm -hmm. Even after? Even after. Yeah. I think there are some things in notes and letters that will stay forever. For example, with that show, I'm like, there are some things that I will never cut that I know are just meant to be there and they are the way they're supposed to be. But there are some things that I will probably change every single production until the end of time, if I could. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great, <laughs> that's awesome. Speaking of notes and letters, I was, when I was preparing for this, um, I couldn't help but think about when I, I did my first show post COVID or post lockdown last fall and, you know, faces on the poster, name is on the poster. And I was, and I, and I was, you know, saw the notes and letters poster. And the first thing you see is the title and then music and lyrics by Annabelle Lee. And I thought, and I was wondering what's more nerve wracking to you. The fact that your name is on the poster or the fact that people are seeing your name and they're about to go see what this person is capable of, capable of, you know? Ooh, I think the second one, you know, I think having my name be like right there. And people knowing that like she's responsible if I don't like it, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think that's that's always a bit daunting. Um, like reading all the reviews that have come out since then, and like they've mostly been very nice. But and I'm a person that like I will just read them. I don't care. You will read the review. Oh man, good for you. <laughs> I want to know what people say. You know, I just think it's exciting on one level that like people are writing about it at all. That yeah. there's an opportunity for it to be written about, but. Um, I would have to do it just in case it's like really bad. I do it when I'm feeling really, really great about myself. I don't do it. I don't go read them when I'm like already feeling sort of low or bad. That's not right. the time to read reviews. <laughs> you you went back and you saw, you came back to Chicago, I should say, and mm -hmm. you saw the show. And for, uh, first of all, was that your first time coming back to Chicago in quite some time? Yeah, I hadn't been there since August of last year, so it's been a while. And, you know, it's year three of a pandemic and, you know, theater is back. I put it, I put an asterisk because it doesn't, it's back, but it feels 
every time, even though I'm doing a show right now and it feels weird to be doing it. Um, but, you know, I think there are moments where you can let that all go and sort of take it all in. Was there a moment, and I hate for it to be all philosophical and so whimsical, but was there a moment for you when the show really, it just felt good being back and listening to your own words and seeing the show as it is now with an audience? Yeah, okay, so I have two moments. The first one is on Monday, I got into Chicago on the Monday and I thought we were gonna get in too late for me to go to the invite address, but it ended up, we ended up somehow making it early. And so I ran to the theater, I'm texting the AD Whitney and I was like, hey Whitney, I'm here, can I come? Will they be mad if I come? And she was like, no, come on in. And so I walked in and I like snuck in in the middle of the dress run and they were doing a song called Sublime Ragtime. Mm -hmm. um, and I walked in and I just like stood at the back of the theater and I would, they were in the middle of the song when I walked in the room, I just started crying. It was so cool to like see them doing it. I'm like getting emotional now. Um, I like just to see them doing it after all of this time. Um, I sort of not being there for all of the rehearsals. I was like not convinced it was real until I got to the theater and yeah. I saw them doing that. And it was the coolest thing ever. It was, it was just like top five moments of my life, I think. And then the other moment that was like, oh God, we're finally back doing this was opening night when Whitney Rhodes, the artistic director at Underscore, she's incredible. She went on stage and gave a little like, you know, happy opening night speech. And at the end, she just said, thank you for supporting live theater. And the whole audience, like we had a full house that night just erupted into cheers. And that was, I had like full body chills because we were all just so excited to be there, like every person in that room. And I think after three years, it meant that much more that we were all there for live theater. It was the coolest. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And it was at Victory Gardens, right? And that's a pretty, that's a pretty big, I mean, they have two theaters, but still pretty big houses, I would imagine. Yeah, it's uh, Richard Christensen. So I think it's like 100 seats, Still. about 100. And super cool. Yeah, no, that's so cool. Well, we do have time. We're going to play a game, and it's called Time for Two. It's favorite game on the earth. Two minutes of random icebreaker questions. No right, no wrong. Just curious to see what your opinion is. Are you ready? I'm scared, but I'm ready. <laughs> you got this. <clears throat> All right, here we go. Three, two, one, go. What would you do for a Klondike bar? Um, for some reason, my mind went backflip off a trampoline. Cool. Uh, worst job you've ever had? Strawberry picking. Ooh. Have you ever kicked down a door? Not literally, maybe metaphorically. <laughs> What do you like to have in order to uh, get over a hangover? Um, diner breakfast, eggs, bacon. Okay. Uh, where's the beef? Where's the beef? Yeah. I don't know how to answer that question. On the cow still. I'm there we go. So 
saying now. <laughs> uh, describe your life, Bugs Life or Toy Story. Toy Story. How deep is your love? How deep is your love? Um, I'm going to respond with the song. Okay. <laughs> Does Miss Piggy love Kermit? Yes. Who's the worst? Who's the worst? Um, Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> uh, favorite president? Um, not Donald Trump. Great. Favorite Beatle? <laughs> Paul. Uh, coffee or donuts? Coffee. Favorite article of clothing? Um, specific article or just generally? Any. Um, address. Alex Trebek is the greatest game show host of all time. Favorite kind of bean? Um, green bean. Do you hit the treadmill or hit the couch? Couch. Hate Favorite myself. holiday? Um, Christmas. Beer or wine? Wine. Last question, notes or letters? Oh, um, notes. Ah, tell me play time for two. I threw you the curveball with that one, that last one. That's so fun, oh my God. Right? I play this. I would play this game all the time uh, when I when we did a Zoom New Year's Eve party in 2020, uh, and the joke was I would tell ask people because one of the questions is favorite Matthew. And of course, it's with a bunch of friends, and every time they sit, they don't say me. I would tell them to f off with a joke, obviously, but that oh would that goodness. was that was the running bit for that favorite Matthew, not you. All right, well, f you. Moving on. But, oh my gosh. Annabelle, I've been having so much fun talking to you, but my last question to you is, are your parents proud of you? Luckily, yes. I think my mom is, my mom has been so supportive of me and she has been my champion and it's been great. So yes, I'm very lucky. Oh, that's wonderful. Annabelle, thank you so much for coming on and spending some time. I've, I've enjoyed it very much. This was so much fun. I can't, I'm amazed that you found all this stuff about the, like the carpet ruiners. <laughs> it's hilarious to me. I like that interview. How about you? Yeah, I, I super duper loved that interview that I've definitely listened to. We've been through this before. I haven't edited it yet. Give me a break. We'll get there. I will hear it. A break? Well, and you haven't I'm had a break. Sure... You haven't had a break because of your new job as what? Oh, my my new I thought you meant my job in real life. I'm like, I'm no. not fucking talking about that. No, my my new job as uh the official Pez dispenser of Are Your Parents Proud of You? That's that's my job. I dispense Pez. If you uh yeah, if you tip my head back, my neck opens up and Pez comes out. It's um, it's actually a very serious disease. I need to see a doctor about it. But you know, yeah, wait a minute. For now, this job but, didn't sound. It sounded very fun at first. I'm not so sure anymore. Well, you know, as long as I'm living with this condition, might as well make the most of it because you know we live in a in a, a hellscape of a country, and uh, you got to monetize everything. Yeah, you know, what I like to live on what those social medias oh you mean um our our facebook and instagram page at parents proud podcast and also our email that you can send emails to which is 
parentsproudpodcast at gmail.com. Listen, one of these days, Jenna and I are just going to sit down and just go through each email we've gotten. If people would actually send us emails, we could do like a mailbag episode. Oh, we totally should. You know what? After this, we should check. See if if we got any any, uh, emails. Yeah. And if people don't email us, I'm just going to start sending like like just weird emails to it myself, just signed anonymously. (laughs) Matt, I got so many emails. From who? Oh, it's a new person. You wouldn't know. Yeah, they're from Buena. Where? You know, Buena. Yeah. Um, thank you for listening to Are Your Parents Proud of You? I'm, I have been Jenna. That has been Matt. Um, are, who's, our, who's our guest next time? Are we announcing that? Or are we just saying fuck it and leaving? <laughs> it's been a while. I, I wasn't, I wasn't doing these with you like most of last season. So I don't, I don't remember how rusty? this shit works. I, I am uh, a little uh, rusty. Yeah. Next week is Dustin Rothbart, one of the co-artistic directors of Blank Theater. Cool. And All you right, definitely folks. and you definitely pronounced his name right because you're you're so good at pronouncing people's names. Good night everyone. Yeah.